for some of you, actually most of you in the congregation today, uh, you will recognize the title of this sermon. Uh, it came from a very, very famous song made by a hit by the Hollies. They were actually someone who cut it before them, but the Hollies made it a huge hit in 1969. Um, there are several stories behind the wording of the phrase. If people have tried to go back and see what might have inspired this particular lyric. If you go back all the way to 1884, you will find a story of a little girl carrying a big, big baby boy in her arms, and someone looked and said, he's got to be heavy, and her response was, no, he's not heavy, he's my brother. Uh, by 1918, there was a story in a publication that said, did you hear about the Scottish girl? And the same story, her, she's carrying a, a big boy, a big boy down the street, and she said, he's not heavy, he's my brother. And then, in, uh, in the 40s, <clears throat> 1940s, the words were adapted to become, he ain't heavy, father, he's my brother. They became the motto of the boys' home, uh, founded by Father Edward, um, my brain just stopped on me, uh, Flanders. And he, uh, he saw a boy, the story goes, who was carrying another one with leg braces and asked if he was heavy. He ain't heavy, Father. He's my brother. Well, you finally get to a place where you find the term exactly as it is given out. Now, nobody claims that this was a source of the title of the song or its meaning. It came out in 1969. Those of you who you don't have to be super history buffs to know this, you know it was in during the time of the Vietnam conflict and some of the heaviest fighting had begun. And soldiers over there, hearing the song, immediately embraced it. Because this was their heart for each other. If my brother's wounded, I will carry him as far as I have to to get him help. And if he's gone, I'll carry him so we can give him a proper send-off. And it became a really special song for these men. Because for the first time in our nation's history, as soldiers started coming back, when men started coming back from Vietnam, they were met not by large hearts of love, but a lot of the nation responded, turning their anger on these young people, uh, most of whom just answered a call. Whether they volunteered or were drafted, they went to serve. And it was a, a really rough time in our nation's history. Well, I'm not really concerned about the source of the words. What I want to share with you is just a little bit about the men who wrote the song. It's a beautiful ballad. I love it. It's one of my favorite songs out of that time period. It was written by Bobby Scott and Bob Russell. Um, they met in a, a California uh, nightclub and were introduced by Johnny Mercer, another big figure in American music. And these two hit it off and decided they wanted to write a song together. Now, what makes their story and this song poignant when they met, Bob Russell was already dying of lymphoma. They only had time to come together three times 
to plan and write a song. And they came up with this beautiful song that has come to mean, it doesn't matter what the origin of the title is, if you hear this song, you will understand the call to care about each other. There's no load that my brother bears that I'm not willing to carry with him. A song of compassion, a song of connectedness, a song of great meaning. And I find it just so incredibly bittersweet, perhaps, that one man's last gift to the music world came at a time when he himself was facing dependence. We're going to take a look at Galatians 6, verses 1 through 6 today. And as you stand, I want you to really open up your hearts and hear the message that Paul was giving to his people. This is one of the most important passages in the book of Galatians because it opens up a very, very focused idea. You've heard about being justified by faith. You've heard about living by the Spirit. You've heard about keeping in step with the Spirit. You've heard about loving one another. And Paul says, now I'm going to show you how you do that. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to somebody else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Paul has launched now into a practical discussion of what it means to live by the Spirit, what it means to keep in step with the Spirit. And here he tells him what living by the Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit will look like. This is what needs to be happening. And the life that he pictures here is a life of mutual relationship. Please notice the phrase, one another. It's crucial that this is a give-and-take relationship between people who are called to love each other. And folks, when I look at this text, I am reminded that we are called to make a difference in each other's lives. I think at some level, everybody wants to know that their life made a difference. We want that to be real. But here, we need to understand wanting to make a difference And actually making a difference can be two very different things. So how do we make a difference in each other's lives? Let's take a look at the principles that Paul lays out for us. And maybe we'll understand. Our first principle. We can live lives of restoration. We can live lives of restoration. You and I, this is not a job for the pastors of this world. All of us are called to live a life of restoration. And he spells out what, it, what that means. He called upon the Galatians to actively seek restoring fallen believers. 
When somebody messes up, when somebody falters, when somebody sins, those of you who are spiritual need to go and help them up. Now that phrase, if someone is caught in a sin, Paul might have had a specific instance in mind that came to him from Galatia. But I don't think so. I think by the wording of the text, he's not saying, I know of such a situation, but it could happen at any moment. This is a very real scenario he sets up. If I tell you today, man, it's going to be so exciting if I could walk out into the sunlight and just fly up into the clouds like Superman. If any of you thought for one moment I'm serious, call my doctors. We know that's not going to happen. But when Paul says if somebody's caught in a sin, folks, that can happen all the time. That can happen before I get out in the parking lot. And Paul is saying when that happens, now what does he mean caught up in a sin? It may mean you actually caught, catch somebody doing something wrong. They're caught red-handed. There's no excuse. There's nothing they can do to weasel their way out. You caught them. Or it may mean the temptation came and they got caught up in the temptation and didn't run away. What are you supposed to do with that person? Restore them. That's an interesting word. It's used in Matthew and Mark to describe mending nets. It's used in the ancient world talking about doctors who are setting a fractured limb. In other words, you're taking something that's broken, that's not able to be used anymore, and you're fixing it where it's useful again. That's what Paul says, this is what you're supposed to do. We have really good examples of what people who are not living godly lives want to do. And the most telling is found in John 8. When a group of Christ's enemies drag a woman who is caught in the act of adultery, throw her down at his feet, what do we do with her? Now, it's very clear they're wanting to test Jesus. They're hoping he'll say, well, stoner, that's what the law says. Well, the minute he says stoner, everybody's going to say, but you've been talking about God's love. They're also hoping they'll say, well, there's no problem, go your way. And they're hoping he'll, he'll say that because they can say, well, then he doesn't care about obeying God's law. They're trying to put him in a catch. And then he throws it back at him. Who's ever without sin casts the first stone. Someone once commented, John says he's drawing in the dirt. Someone has mentioned maybe he's writing out sins like pride or jealousy or anger. I don't know what he, he may have just been doodling in the dirt. They run away. They wanted her, in one way or the other, to pay. She broke the law. She deserves to be punished. And Paul says, restore them. Restore them. And folks, that comes as a command. It isn't a suggestion. It isn't, I think it'd be great if you did. It's a command to restore them. Now, who are supposed to do it? Who does the restoring? He says, those of you who are spiritual. Now, what does he mean by that? Is he saying there are two levels in the body of Christ? You know, kind of like clergy and laity? Is he saying that there are two categories of Christians? One who are really super good and those who aren't? 
Well, just think about what Paul's been saying. He has called all of the Galatians to live by the Spirit of God. He has called all of the the Galatians to keep in step with the Spirit of God. And he has called all of the Galatians to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Now, you may be thinking, but Danny, I, I see where you're going back. I am not a saint, right? Wrong. In the New Testament sin of the word, every one of you who knows Jesus as your Savior is a saint. Sanctified, set apart by God to be his people in this world who are called to make a difference. But Danny, I don't know everything I need to know. Well, that may be a job for your discipleship. But I believe what Paul is saying, any Christian and every Christian has the potential of being one of the spirituals. And if you've known the Lord long enough, and your walk with the Lord is true enough, you should be able to help a brother, help a sister who's fallen. Now, how do we restore him? Paul doesn't give any specific information. Another passage of scripture for you to look up when you get home, right on your bulletin. Matthew 18, 15 through 17. Jesus kind of lays out a plan. What do you do about a, a brother that there is a fault with, that you have a clash with? But what Paul does tell here, when you go to restore a brother, do it gently. Do it meekly. Do it in such a way that you give them hope and you can show them that there is life for them. And even if it comes down to discipline, even that discipline is meant to call them back. How do I know Paul meant all that stuff? Because in 1 Corinthians, he tells the church to deliver an immoral brother into the hands of Satan. And they took him seriously. Because by the time he read 2 Corinthians, they had laid that kid, that guy out of the church. They had nothing to do with him. And he says, you didn't understand. The reason I told you, you had to get harsh. He's not listening. He's not hearing God's call. He needs discipline so that he will come back. Gentleness. Meekness. I like what Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, said in his Commentary on Galatians. How do we treat a brother or sister who's fallen? Run unto him and reaching out your hand, raise him up again. Comfort him with sweet words and embrace him with motherly arms. Love them. And then he warns, and you need to be on guard because you could fall too. And this is where that gentleness comes in. When we realize that we too are vulnerable to temptation... And if any of you think you are not vulnerable to temptation, get ready. You have just put a big target on your chest. We are vulnerable. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So the, the warning is, you need to be careful. Love them and approach them not out of a a super sense of how godly I am, approach them knowing that you could be one of the fallen as well. Now what does that mean for us? 
We must rise above judgmental self-righteousness. I need you to hear me. Because when I talk about judgmental self-righteousness, you know what I'm talking about? Paul's already called it out by name. Works of the flesh. It is our human nature, isn't it? When we see somebody do something wrong, we want them punished. We want them in trouble. I don't know how many times in my life I've been driving and somebody do something blatantly illegal. And I was just hoping there was a police officer on the other side of the road. I wanted them caught and I wanted them written up. Now, I still think they need to be caught and they need to be written up. But the heart I was exhibiting at the moment was not exactly righteous indignation. I'm not saying that we should soft coat sin. You know that woman taken in adultery? Do you remember what Jesus told her? I'm not going to condemn you any more than they did. Now go and sin no more. We need to take sin seriously. But he called us to be led by the Spirit of God to gently... Wait a minute. Where did we hear about gentleness? Last week. The fruit of the Spirit. Isn't it neat the way Paul just ties everything together? Meekness. That's the idea of someone who has power, but it's under control. They're letting God lead them. Come to them gently. Reach out to them. Hold the possibility of restoration. Not harshness. Not condemnation. We are not meant to beat each other up. I don't know who first said it. I wish it had never been said, but it has haunted me ever since I heard it when I was a teenager. The Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded. God forbid. Our call to those who fail recognizes if we lose sight of the Spirit, we could fall too. So we need to help them. You see a brother or sister out of the will of God, you reach out. And what is our act? What is our commitment today that needs to be made? May we work to gently build bridges of restored fellowship whenever we find fallen disciples. God help me. Help me to keep my eyes and my heart open for brothers who sit and sisters who slip, not so that I can condemn them, not so I can get really quick and in the name of a prayer meeting, tell, spill all the gory details because I really like to gossip. It's not that, Lord, help me to show them love. Help me to let them see that you are the one who restores. And again, coming from the mouth of the man who tried to kill the church shows that our God does restore. Paul wanted Christianity destroyed and Christ made him his apostle to the Gentiles. May we have that heart reaching out to build a bridge to help people come back, not push them away, help them to come back. And with that in mind, if we do that, by the way, Paul did something very unusual. He gave you a really good illustration for what he was about to describe next. And what is our next principle? We can live lives of support. We can be people who support one another. And when Paul 
wrote it, he, Paul called for the Galatians to become bearers of one another burden. And it, the reciprocal nature of this, the fact that it is do it for each other, is clear in the original text. Because the emphasis is not placed on the verb, it's on the pronoun. I read for you Galatians 6.2 out of the NIV. Carry each other's burdens. In the original text, Paul sounds a little bit like Yoda. One another's burdens carry. Now why that strange structure? Because that's the way of Paul's letting them know, I'm talking about all of you. You are to carry each other's, which implies what? I carry yours, you carry mine. Now, he didn't define what he meant by those burdens. The, the word burden here translated a word which literally means a heavy weight or a stone. Uh, Timothy George reminded me of a phrase that I've used more than once in my life that pretty well describes it. Tote. T-O-T-E. Most of you have heard that word, tote. Nothing else, you've heard of a tote bag. But the word tote does not mean you pick up something heavy and put it right down, does it? It's not a show of strength. It's not at the gym flexing your muscles so everybody's like, woo, what a strong guy. No, you pick up something heavy and you carry it. Either in your arms or on your back, you are toting it, maybe for miles before you're able to put it down again. Now, it came to mean not just a literal carrying of a heavy weight. It came to mean any kind of oppressive ordeal or hardship that was difficult to bear. And it has been pointed out in context. When Paul says, bear each other's burdens, he's just talked about restoring people. And so the burden Paul may have in mind is brothers and sisters who have fallen to sin. But I think there's a more general sense. I think it's anything that happens, any kind of weakness, any kind of pain, any kind of suffering, every burden that is hard to bear on your own, we need to be looking out for. And Paul lived what he preached. It's really good for the pastor to say, you need to be bearing each other's burdens, and you need to let people bear your burdens. And then I never share mine. Listen. Again, out of the Corinthian correspondence, 2 Corinthians 11, 28 and 29. Besides everything else, face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? So essentially Paul is saying, encouraging believers, live your lives as helpful people. Look at each other, see the pain, pay attention, and when you can... You reach out and you help a brother or sister face whatever battle they are battling. The most important takeaway I can get from this passage of Scripture for us, the myth of self-sufficiency needs to be laid to rest. The, The thought, the idea that I can do this on my own, I don't need anybody's help, Get rid of it. Remember how I've told you? Purge from your vocabulary. I'm sorry, all I can do is pray. Purge from your vocabulary. I can do this myself. Now, obviously, there are some things you can. We'll get into that. But the idea that I don't need help, 
when we look at this text, we're reminded of some really important truths, and one of them is the reality of burdens. No one exempt is exempt from the harshness of life. I know a lot of people who come to faith hearing if you trust in Jesus, everything's going to be great from now on. And that usually works for a while, but then all of a sudden you're hit between the eyes with the battle. And what happened? I actually had a young man ask me, why did people lie to me? All of us will face burdens. And they can be in different degrees of severity. They can be in different kinds of burdens. But even God's godliest people within the Word of God face battles. And we will too. You see, self-sufficiency is a myth that can only bring another layer of difficulty in all that I'm having to say here. The idea of burdenberry. I have known people who were so intent, I can handle my problems myself, they never asked for help, they never allowed help in their lives. I can do this on my own. And that sounds so brave, doesn't it? I can face whatever comes my man. I'd ask for a show of hands. Well, how many, did, how, did any of you have to, to memorize the poem Invictus in high school? I'm the captain of my faith. I'm the master of my soul. And it sounds so brave. Do you know what the scripture calls it? Pride. And not the good kind. In verse 3, Paul warns about this pride. If a man thinks he is something, he's deceiving himself for the very thought proves that he is nobody. That comes from the Phillips translation. Now, that sounds pretty harsh. That doesn't help my self-esteem at all. If you think you're somebody, you're really nothing. Now, what is Paul talking about in the grand scheme of godliness and holiness? And I am nothing. I didn't deserve to be saved. I didn't deserve to be called into ministry. I didn't deserve any of the blessings God gave me. I received them because of grace. And he says, you need to be careful before you start looking at yourself. I can do everything. You need to understand, apart from Christ, you can do nothing. So he says, don't compare yourself to each other. Don't look and see what this ministry is doing. Don't look and see who, what they're doing. God, am I following you? And I'm, am I being a, an obedient child? And if I can say yes, then I'm doing what God has called me to do. And what God is calling us to do here, help each other. Each other. That means when you have a burden, don't be afraid of it. John Donne said, no man is an island entire to itself. And Martin Luther described, we all need to go to the spiritual gym Martin Luther said a Christian must have broad shoulders and husky bones in order to carry the burdens of his brothers and sisters. Now, we sing a song about bringing our burdens to Christ. And you're familiar, 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your cares upon Christ, for he cares for you. So why do I need you? Well, God made us that way. 
Listen to Paul's description again. Again, 2 Corinthians this time. And he's talking about all of the battles he's faced. And he says, there came a time when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. This great man of God who who was stoned, who was left for dead, who was shipwrecked, who was imprisoned, said, I was about to give up. I thought it was all over. And Paul sent Titus to me. And if you're familiar with Titus, he's one of Paul's children in faith, a minister that Paul guided, and Paul was learning lessons from a disciple. Verse 16 sounds a little bit out of place. If you have somebody giving you the word, then you need to take care of their needs. Folks, it's just another example of bearing burdens with each other. The one who's teaching is giving you the wealth of knowledge God is giving. You are giving them what they need. So what is our action? What are we supposed to do? What are we to commit to today? May we quickly walk alongside when we find someone in need of our help. May we quickly willingly become burden bearers. And now look, oh, they're calling again. How many times I've helped. Can you imagine if God ever said that about us? How many times have I helped them? I've had enough. But the other side of this, folks, I didn't put it out there, but you can probably guess when I say the other side of this, we need to be willing to let other people walk alongside of us. So, our final, our final principle. We can live lives of personal example. Now, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I'm about to draw out of this an implied principle that Paul doesn't state. But I think it's valid, and I'm asking you to give me some indulgence, and let's hear what I have to say. We can live lives of personal example. Now, what Paul did say, he acknowledged that there are some burdens in life that believers must carry alone. Now, whoops, he contradicted himself in the short span of three verses. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens. Verse 5, carry your own load. And that's a contradiction. Well, it's not. I could try to take the easy route that a lot of people do and point out there are two different words used here. And it's reflected in the NIV and most modern translations. King James just translates both words as burden. Uh, NIV, burden, in two, load, in verse five. The first carries that idea of the really heavy load, and the second word may indicate a lighter load, like a soldier's pack. And people said, so see, he's talking about two different things. Folks, we don't... We need to be careful and not get too wrapped up in words. We need to let the context tell. And I don't think I need to point out that there are two different words. The context fits clearly. Paul is saying there are certain Christian responsibilities or burden that each believer must bear himself, herself, that can't be shared. Remember, he just talked about 
be sure you're doing what God wants you to do. And then he says, carry your load. There are some things we cannot, we cannot give over to someone else. We each have tasks to do in this world. No one can bear for us. We cannot bear the grief of a brother or sister at a time of loss. We might be able to lighten that burden by loving them and showing compassion and being there for them. But they have to work through the grief. We cannot bear the responsibility of the spiritual maturing of our brothers and sisters. We may be able to teach them. We may be able to give them principles. We may be able to point the way. But eventually, every child of God must decide for herself or himself, am I going to commit to the life of discipleship? I can't make you behave any more than you can make me behave. We have to make a decision. And we cannot carry the load of faithfulness for anyone but ourselves. We can encourage people, don't give up, keep pushing on, don't don't let go, follow the Lord. We may admonish them, you know better than this, you know what you should be doing. But each of us must open ourselves to God's hand in drawing us more faithfully to God. In the end, we are each responsible to God for our work and must give account to him one day. Now, we sing a song that has has a line that says, Do thy friends despise forsake thee? Have your friends abandoned you? May that never be said of anybody within this congregation. May we work and try and make sure that we're reaching out. But we need to know there are some things we have to carry along. What does this passage tell me? What's the implication I see here? The way we carry our burdens can be a testimony to the people in our lives. When we are facing burdens, the burdens I have to carry, when I walk through that burden, am I honoring God? Will we faithfully face those challenges, giving God the glory for His faithfulness in the time? Will we approach life with trust? God will supply what I need to get me through this, and I'm going to trust Him and follow Him. Will we point to the truth that our strength and faithfulness comes from the hand of God. When people see us in our times of struggle, will they see a life that honors God or will they see a life that challenges the goodness and love of God? When the battles hit me, all of a sudden am I going to say, I don't deserve this, God. And and do I surrender my hope to the harshness of life? Uh, Pollyanna, the sweet little girl who told everybody played the glad game when she got hurt, it was a different story, wasn't it? Well, I refused to follow the path of the Lord wherever He would take me. God, I didn't ask to go down this trip. I didn't. I didn't ask for this journey, and I don't want it. Well, I proved myself unfaithful in meeting the call of God for the ministry He has for me. Now, Paul did not stress this principle here. But he lived it. In doing so, he brought encouragement, hope, and direction. He talks about 
giving people the word, teaching, admonishing them, wanting them to be presented perfect and mature before God. And then in Colossians 1, 29, says, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God. I want, when people look at me, I want them to see that I'm living what I'm telling them. And I want my light to shine. And when we're willing to say, I may not like this burden. I don't like this load. But God, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to follow you. And I'm going to rely on you. There is a testimony being given. That we serve a good God. Long ago, I told you about Alfred Allen Katui, a gentleman from Kenya, who was here in the United States studying at a, a theological school because he wanted to be better prepared when he went back to Kenya to minister to his people. Alfred Allen Katui, we called him Katui, had scars on his body. Because when he tried to witness to his tribe in Kenya, they beat him. They scarred him. They threw him in prison. And when he left his country, he left with the intention, I'm going back. And this man, when I listened to him, he was about six foot three. He was leaning on an old wooden lectern that I kept waiting to crack. His English was a bit broken, but what I could understand every time he said it, this man who had had all this pain said, God is good God. Over and again. May we never back down from our personal need to face the burdens of life. May we never back down And may we come to understand, when I look at this text, may I really grab hold of this truth. Because this truth tells me, you aren't heavy. You're my family. And I need to take care of you. And you need to take care of me. And we can do that. We can make a difference in lives by our actions. If we're willing to seek and restore brothers and sisters who've fallen out of the will of God and not cast them out, not throw them away like so much rubbish, if we're willing to reach out and help our brothers and sisters with burdens that are just too heavy for anyone to carry alone, and may they never have to carry them alone. If we are willing to face the burdens that we must face in our lives, that we alone can carry, if we will do that with faith and commitment to the Christ who shines light into our world, then his life can be reflected to our lives. Folks, let's commit.
Will you remember that the people we call brothers and sisters aren't too heavy for us to uphold? They're our family. And we must commit to this truth with all of our hearts.